Father, forgive us. Forgive us because there are plenty of mornings that we wake up and Jesus is not the first thing on our mind. Father, forgive us of our sin. For we know, Lord, that only in him is life. That he is all that we need. But yet we seek to fill our lives with things of the world, O oh Lord. That would seek to draw our attention and our thoughts and our lives away from him. Forgive us. Father, we praise you for your grace that you have brought us here this morning again to remember that Jesus is all we need. So we pray for him now, Lord. We pray that you would open up our eyes, of our hearts. You, sovereign God, open up our hearts and our minds and our ears so that we might see, hear, and understand and know Christ and Christ alone. Father, we need your help. We can't do it on our own. Father, I need your help. So we pray and plead with you, Father. We implore you to come. Come, O oh Lord. Come in power. Come in conviction. Come and change hearts and minds. Come and change this preacher, O oh Lord. We need your help, Father. Come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We thank you for all that you do. That you hear us, O oh Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You know, there's some, uh, some accounts in the Bible that, that just don't need an introduction. There's no unique illustration. I mean, I was racking my brain this week trying to come up with, how do, how do I introduce this text? You know, but there are just some accounts in the Bible that are just clear. They just speak for themselves. And if I were to come up with an illustration or a catchy uh, a theme to draw your attention to, it would only take away from the text. Mark 5 the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus' daughter. It's one of my favorite accounts in Mark. It's just so rich here. And there we don't need an, an introduction. You know, we have been spending some time going through the book of Mark. If you've been here for any length of time, you know that this is a continuation in our series. We have come now to Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And as we have seen throughout our study in the book of Mark, we have seen that Jesus always has a purpose. He always is seeking to communicate something about himself, to reveal some truths about himself, why he has come, and also the nature of the kingdom that he is seeking to usher in. 
So when you read these miraculous accounts that we will read here in chapter 5, you want to ask the question, you always want to ask the question, what is Jesus seeking to communicate? We know that he is just not performing these miracles to draw the crowds, for if he was, if he was only seeking to draw crowds, he would have accomplished his purpose and his goal long ago. No, like we learned last week, Jesus has appointments, specific appointments. And, and so it is safe to assume that our account this morning is no different. At first glance, as you are, as we this morning were read the text, and we were introduced to, we were introduced to some main characters in this text, in this narrative. And it seems as though these are two very different people. We have Jairus, the the ruler of the synagogue, who for sure would have been a highly respected man, a, a spiritual man, one whom the people knew about, religious, who would have had multiple resources at his disposal. Here was a praying man, a man who worked at the synagogue. Then we have the woman. The woman with the issue of blood. The woman who Mark does not even name. She's nameless. She's also considered unclean for she's got this issue of blood. She would be considered an outcast. She would have been considered non-religious because her disease would have prevented her from going to the synagogue. So here we have these these two contrasts between the main characters in our story. So you might say to yourself, here is Mark again in his fast-paced writing style, jumping from account to account. And it would seem as though these individuals are not linked in any respect. It would seem as though the, the only thing that links them would be their encounter with Jesus. And yes, yes, that is what links them together. They both have an encounter with Jesus. But that is not the only link that we find. The apparent differences between Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood soon fade away as we begin to dive into their lives and see that they have far more in common than we first realize. Let's take some time and walk. Let's walk in the shoes of the disciples for a minute. And follow along as Mark takes us through this unique encounter that, that, the, that Jairus and the, the woman with the issue of blood have. Jesus has just completed his appointment with the demoniac, right? He, he had an appointment with the demons. He, he cast out the demons and it appears that in one day, And one day, Jesus calms a storm, and he casts out demons. The disciples at this point, you can imagine, are just, they're they're overwhelmed with a variety of emotions. They're they're amazed. There's uncertainty there. There's, There's fear and doubt. They are just running through the full gamut of emotions. But there's no time to rest. There's no time to rest. Jesus has more to reveal. 
He is about to add fuel to the fire regarding their questions about who this man is. Remember, remember, we read this account. When we read this account, we know who Jesus is. We know the full story, but, but the disciples are still unsure. They're not sure who this man is. They know a little bit more than the crowds that were surrounding Jesus because uh, what Jesus reveals to them after he tells them the, the parable of the sower. So they know a little bit more, but yet at this point they are still unsure. They know that this man that they are following, they know that he's got authority and that he's demonstrated that authority. He knows, a, he knows his Bible, that the wind and the seas obey him. They're just, it's just still unsure who this man is. So the text tells us that after Jesus' appointment with the demoniac, he has to leave because the men there tell him to leave. And so they come back again across the sea and they get off the shore and word has spread. Word has gotten out. This Jesus man is, 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 is healing people. And so people are coming in waves and droves and crowding to find and get to Jesus. But most of them are coming to Jesus not to find out who this man is, but because they are curious. They might, they might see a miracle and, and see Jesus maybe heal somebody. A couple of weeks ago, I was, I was at a tennis tournament. And on uh, this, the, the grounds, there were a variety of courts. There was a main court, right, where all the big names played. And then there was a smaller court where some of the no-names played. Well, one of the big names was playing on the larger court. And they decided, they were having some problems, so they decided to move the, 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 the player on that, from that larger player to the smaller court. And I was by the smaller court. Unbeknownst to me, they, they made this move. All of a sudden, I see this flood of people rushing over to the court that I was by. And so I stopped one of the gentlemen. I said, what's going on? What's happening? And he said to me, I don't know. I just saw everybody running. So I just just followed along. (laughs) Here are the crowds. No different. We're no different. Here are the crowds coming to Jesus, not because they want to get Jesus, but they see the people, the crowds coming to Jesus, and they want to know what's going on. They're, They're curious. So here the crowds are around Jesus and they're pressing in on him. And you can imagine that there is a, there's a buzz about the crowd. Who, who is this man? Perhaps the disciples are telling him what he had done to the, the, the demoniac man and how he had healed them. And there's side conversations going on about what had happened, perhaps. There's a lot of excitement but in the, midst of, in the midst of all the commotion and the, the crowd buzzing about, Mark records that Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, comes running up to Jesus and falls to his knees. It is safe to assume that the commotion, that the commotion stopped. No more buzzing about. It had come to a halt 
here is the ruler of the synagogue. The highly respected Jairus falling to his knees before a man people still are unsure of. Not only is he on his knees, but he is distraught. He is distraught and he is desperate and he is pleading. The Bible says that he is earnestly imploring Jesus to come and to heal his daughter. For she is sick and at the point of death. Jesus, come and if you touch her, she will be healed. Did you notice his faith? He is convinced that Jesus is the answer. There is no doubt that, that, that he, this ruler of the synagogue, would have exhausted all the resources that he has to heal his sick daughter. He would have been pleading with the elders to come and pray for his daughters goes to Jesus, and he doesn't say, Jesus, if you touch her, she might be healed. No, he says, Jesus, if you touch her, I know she will be healed. Jesus tells Jairus that he is willing, that he's willing Yes, Jairus, let's go. I'm coming to your house. Little little side note. You know, we tend to get caught up in the crowds. And if we've got an issue or something going on in our lives and we say, well, well, there's just too much other things going on. Jesus certainly won't hear my request. He won't hear my plea. There's just too much going on. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is a reminder that Jesus is not thinking about the crowds. He cares about you specifically, your needs. Go to him. Forget about the crowds. Go to him. If you are in desperate need of help, go to him. He desires to hear. So Jesus now, along with the disciples and apparently the crowd, and Jairus are on their way to the house. And along the way, Mark records that there is a woman. There is a woman in the crowd who has come looking for Jesus as well. She too has heard the reports about this man, Jesus, and feels that this is her best chance for healing. See, you see, she has been suffering. Suffering for years Upon years, to be exact, 12 years, the disease that not only affects her physically, it is an issue of blood. She is losing blood constantly. It's drained her physically. But it has also devastated her social status as well because you see this woman would have been considered unclean to touch her or to have somebody uh, or for her to touch somebody would um, she was considered unceremonially clean. And so nobody would have wanted to be with her or touch her. So here she was, physical pain, 
a social outcast. But it also tells us that she had spent everything that she had to try to fix this disease. So that means that she would have been financially decimated as well. She has exhausted everything, every resource that she has to stop the pain to heal the disease, to restore her relationship. She has been to every doctor, tried every old wives' tale that there is. And the more she tries to fix it, the worse the problem gets. It is like quicksand. You know, you can't get out of quicksand by fighting. They tell you if you fight, you're just going to sink deeper. Here is this woman with the issue of blood sinking. And she's trying to get out. She can't get out. She's trying and trying, but it's only making it worse. The reality was that she found herself in this crowd distraught and desperate. So if you've been paying any attention to this account, this is where we begin to see the similarities between Jairus And the woman with the issue of blood. Despite the stark differences that are apparent, right? This ruler, this this religious ruler of the synagogue. And this woman who was an outcast, this no-name with this issue of blood. Someone that was highly respected, contrasted to somebody that is, is an outcast. No friends. Here is Christ reminding us that when it all boils down, we are all the same. Desperate people desperately in need of a savior. For for that is what links the two apparent contrasts together. This is what links them together. That is the common denominator that you see. Both Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood are desperate. They're at the end of themselves. Both have exhausted all the resources they have to be able to fix their respective situations. Nothing is working. They're dejected. They're tired, frightened, and worried. This is what we call desperation. It's not Is this not the common adjective that we would use to describe the people thus far in the gospel of Mark that Jesus has healed? The paralytic man and his friends? The paralytic man and his friends, his friends wanted to bring uh, um, him to Jesus, and they couldn't get in. The crowds were too great. And so in a desperate attempt, they take off the roof and lower him down into the roof. Desperate. The man with the withered hand has to go to the synagogue on, on, on the Sabbath asking and pleading, desperately pleading to be healed. The demoniac who was left for dead, desperate. The disciples in the storm, fearing for their lives, they go desperately to Jesus. Do something. But think about it. These, were, these all were outcasts. They were desperate and need of help because that was their status in life, right? They were not part of the elite like this, like this Jairus guy, the ruler of the synagogue. 
here a man of prominence, a a spiritual man. These type of people, they are not desperate. We could understand the desperation of the woman with the issue of blood, but the ruler of the synagogue? Brothers and sisters, desperation is not a respecter of persons because sin is not a respecter of persons. People find themselves in desperate situations and overwhelmed and exhausted because of sin. The only reason desperation exists is because sin exists. The woman does not have the issue of blood if there is no sin in the world. She's not sick. Jairus does not have to worry about his sick daughter and sure enough is not thinking about death if there is no fall. Desperation is a product of sin. But not only is desperation a product of sin, doubt is a product of sin. Fear is a product of sin. Worry is a product of sin. Shame is a product of sin. Hope in man is a product of sin. And finally, death is a product of sin. All these and more, all of this sin is what links the two of them together. They are both dealing with the radical effects of sin, and they are desperate, desperately in need of a savior, like all of us. But remember, we said Jesus always has a purpose and a point. What is he doing? He has come to usher in the kingdom, he has come to defeat sin and the works of the devil. In our account, what we see is Jesus overcoming the desperation and declaring that he is the one who is bringing peace and life to the desperate. We go back to our account. We find the woman in the midst of the crowd. Here she is trying trying to get to Jesus Convinced probably that, that this is her only hope. This is her last hope. So she's, she's not sure what to do. She's, she's fearful. Should, should I go up to him directly? Maybe, maybe I should just get, get, the, get the attention of one of the disciples and they can go up to him for, for her. But in the midst of her doubt and uncertainty, faith wells up. Faith wells up. She says in verse 28, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. That is faith. That is faith. But please notice and recognize that her faith was not in the touch, but it was in the one who she touched. She believed more in the one who she touched than in her touch. You see, she believed Jesus was enough to say that this man has enough authority, that he is more powerful. I believe who he is, that even if I touch even the hem of his garment, I know I will be healed. This reminds me of the the Canaanite woman's faith in Matthew 15. When, When Jesus says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And the Canaanite woman responds and she says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. 
And Jesus says, that is great faith. Oh, this, this, this woman touching, touching Jesus' garment is great faith. But it was great faith, not because of her touch, but because of who she touched. And there she is, confused and certain. But she exercises faith and she reaches out and touches the garment. And Mark then implores his favorite word in the Gospels. Immediately, immediately the woman was healed. For 12 years she has been suffering with this issue of blood, this horrible, debilitating disease. And in an instant, healed. At that moment, you can, you can just... You could just imagine that she is paralyzed. She's, she's, she's stunned. Have you, have you ever been in pain or in a horrible situation and you get a instant relief? It paralyzes you. You're in amazement. It, it would have been as though in that large crowd of People, you can imagine that there she was. It was as though she was the only one in the crowd. It was, it was silent. She realized she was healed. Then as her senses begin to come back to her, faintly she hears, Who touched me? And immediately, fear would have gripped her. He knows, he knows it was me. Reality sets back in and fear rushes in. Now the disciples at this point, they are, they are running, they are, they are running crowd control, right? And Jesus asks, who touched me? Now, I don't know if you all have ever been in a crowd. Um, I, I'm from New York, and I've been to, like, uh, Times Square on, on New Year's Eve. I've been on, at the Yankee ticker tape parades, right? And there's just people everywhere. I mean, it's like you're moving, you're walking, but the crowd is the one that's moving you. You're not even, you're not even your feet aren't even on the ground because there's so many people rushing in on you. And here are these people rushing in on Jesus. And Jesus asked the disciples and calls out, who touched me? The disciples look at Jesus and they say, who touched you? Everybody's touching you, Jesus. What do you mean, who touched you? Now, we need to cut the disciples some slack. And you're just, you're just, you're amazed at Jesus's patience. Can you, I mean, we do it with our children, right? If, our, if we say something or tell our children something, right? And they question us, we're like, do you know who you're talking to? Here is Jesus. The disciples get smart with Jesus. Jesus just ignores them. We need to cut the disciples some slack. We know who he, he, who he is. The disciples didn't know who he is, who he was. But they ask, who touched me? But Jesus knew 
as the Bible says, that he perceived that power, that power had left him. Now, when Mark records the other miracles we read about thus far in the book, he, he says he uses the word authority, that Jesus performed those miracles with authority. But there is a word, a Greek word that Mark uses here that, is, that he uses the word dunamis. Dunamis. Different than the word exousia, which means to perform with authority. Dunamis is a miraculous power. It is a healing power. It is where we would get the word dynamite. The same word that Paul uses when he says that the gospel is the power of God, the dunamis unto salvation. Brothers and sisters, this woman who has been suffering for 12 years has been more than just healed. She has been more than just healed. She has been changed. She has been changed. That is the power. That is what the power of God does. It changes you. Makes you a new creation. Not only are you healed, but you are restored. Tim Keller makes the point that that when she touched Jesus, she got more than she expected or asked for. So when Jesus asks who touched him, despite her fear and anxiety at this moment, all she could do despite her fear and trembling was to fall to her knees and to worship. And this woman, this woman who, who was an outcast, who was fearful that people would know of her disease for fear that if she touched them, they would be unclean. Here is this woman now at the feet of Jesus telling him the whole truth, everything that has happened to her in the midst of this large crowd. That is what the power of Christ does. This once desperate woman who had tried everything, everything to get rid of the disease was now changed because her faith was in Christ. And if, and if that wasn't enough, oh, I pray that you hear this. If that wasn't enough, she hears what to me are some of the sweetest words in this passage. Listen to this. He says, Jesus says to her, daughter. He calls her Daughter. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Go in peace. Those are such sweet words to the distraught and to the desperate. Here is Jesus saying, go and be forgiven. Go and be forgiven. He has delivered us, Colossians 1, 13 to 14 says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is saying, go with no more shame, as Isaiah 54, 4 and 8 says. Fear not, fear not, 
for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will not forget the shame of you, your, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife, deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you. But with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Go in peace. Go with no fear. Go with no fear. Therefore, brothers, Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, the curtain that is Through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Brothers and sisters, here is Jesus saying, go in peace. Go knowing that your pursuit for a cure is over. The just shall live by Go in peace. Brothers and sisters, when Christ saves you, if you find yourself in Christ this morning, if you are trusting him, exercising faith in him, Christ says to you, go in peace. No more shame, no more guilt, no more fear, no more striving to be healed Go in peace. You can come and tell him the whole truth. He knows about it already. And he says, yes, I hear it. I've died for you. I've forgiven you. Go in peace. But Jesus is not done. The disciples in the crowd may have got caught up in the miracle, but there is one person in this crowd who is like, who hasn't forgotten where Jesus was headed. Remember Jairus? Jairus is waiting on the, on the side right now, watching all this, probably saying to himself, Jesus, my daughter, she's, she's dying. We're running out of time, Jesus. Don't forget me, Jesus going to be too late, Jesus. Is she going to make it? Not for a moment. Jesus had not forgotten Jairus, not even for a moment. That is the temptation. That is the temptation of all of us, is to think that Jesus has forgotten or doesn't know the situation. But that is nothing more than sin seeking to take your eyes off of Christ. It is sin that begins to produce worry, doubt, and fear. Fear. Fear 
Nothing escalates desperation like fear. And for for Jairus, fear had already gripped his heart. Fear had already gripped his heart because we know that the text says, Mark tells us that some men from his house came running to him and and told him. She didn't make it, Jairus. She didn't make it. Don't bother, don't bother Jesus anymore. She's dead. We know fear had risen up in his heart because Jesus, before Jairus could even respond, do not fear. Don't let it creep in, Jairus. Only believe. Only believe, Jairus. Only believe me. Think about it. At, at no moment, Jairus had no uh, idea to think that Jesus was going to raise his daughter from the dead. He didn't know. Jesus didn't tell him, don't fear, I'm going to raise her. He said, don't fear, only believe. Jairus, at this point, knows that everything is going to be okay because he is going with Jesus. No matter what the situation is at home. No matter what the situation is at home, Jairus knows at that point his faith and his trust is in Jesus. Don't fear, Jairus. Don't fear. Only believe. So they head on to the house. And upon their arrival, they get outside the house and there are, are mourners there. There are mourners there and they are mourning the loss of the daughter. And Jesus sees all these flute players and everything going on and Jesus stops and he says, he says, What's all this commotion about? What are you guys mourning for? Why are you weeping? Why are you crying? She's not dead. She's sleeping. Sleeping? She's she's sleeping. Now, some believe that in fact the girl was indeed just sleeping. And that this miracle was not that miraculous at all. That Jesus didn't raise her from the dead, but he simply resuscitated her. Now, I like to have sympathy for other people's opinions and thoughts. But the text is clear. That girl was dead. Listen to me. There are professional mourners. They, they, they know what a dead body looks like. This was, this was the custom. They, they went and mourned the loss of the dead. They weren't confused. And then why would they burst out in laughter when Jesus said that she's not dead, she's sleeping? Believe me. 
she was dead. You see, Jesus knew why he had come. Remember, remember, he was always purposeful, always seeking to communicate and to reveal who he was and the nature of the kingdom. He said that the girl was sleeping because he knew when he returned from entering that house, it was going to be as if that girl was taking a nap. He was going into that house to demonstrate his power over death and to let Peter, James, and John know that sin came into the world and brought death. But, but Peter, James, and John, I came into the world to bring life. I came into the world to bring life. Jesus goes into that house and says, Talitha Kumi, little girl, little girl, I say to you, arise. And, and Mark again, such a clear picture, immediately. Immediately, she got up and began walking. In an instant, she got up. Peace be still to the storm. Lazarus, come forth. Demons, come out of him. Take up your bed and walk. That is the power and the authority of Christ. One word and sin is changed. One word. That is the power of Christ. This must be the Son of God. This must be the Son of God. Here is Christ declaring that Messiah has come and sin and sickness and death have to go. They have to go. Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the dead was a pointer to his death that he would lay down his life, but had the power to take it up again. But not only that, but not only that, brothers and sisters, hear this, not only that, but that he would be the first fruits, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man death came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. If you are in Christ, here is Christ pointing us to the reality that we too, when we die, will rise. By the dunamis, by his power. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Christ accomplished what he came to do. He came. He came to defeat sin and death. We know this. The scriptures are clear that he defeated sin and death. He has risen from the grave. We no longer, like the disciples, like Jairus, like the woman with the issue of blood, we don't have to look to pointers. 
We don't have to look to examples. We don't have to look to pointers. We know that Christ has come and accomplished what he came to accomplish. Christ did defeat sin and death on the cross. That is a fact. And he is still telling us to only believe, to trust him, to put our faith in him. Reach out and touch him. We are all born in a state of desperation and we try remedy after remedy, but nothing works. It doesn't work. We're just, it's like we're in the, we're in the, we're in the, um, uh, the sand, the quicksand, just seeking. And we try, we keep trying and trying to get ourselves out, but we just fall deeper and deeper and deeper. Here is Jesus saying, I'm your only hope. Forget about the crowd. If you're desperate this morning, forget about the crowd. Come to Jesus. Come to him. Place your faith in him. He's here listening. I plead with you, come. Because when you come and you place little little faith, you place your faith in in him. It's not about your little faith. It's about Christ in whom you place your faith in. You do that and you can walk out of here hearing the words from Jesus himself. Go in peace. Go in peace. The truth is that there are some of you here who, there are some of you here that have exercised faith in Christ. And you believe Jesus, but like Jairus, your situation has changed. You see, Jairus exercised faith in Christ when he asked him to come and heal his daughter. But as soon as the situation changed, fear began to rise up in his heart. For some of you, that's you here. Fear has given way to desperation. Doubt is rising up. Unbelief is creeping in. You believe Jesus, but it's hard to trust him and to believe him. Hear the words from Jesus himself. Do not fear. Do not fear. Only believe. Brothers and sisters, he does not change. He is always the same, even if your situation changes to the point of death. Remember this, that Christ came to bring peace, and he came to bring life. You trust him. Do not fear. Only believe. Father, fear is a killer. Doubt, sin, Father, seeks to destroy us, seeks to steal our joy, seeks to take our eyes off of you, Lord. So we plead with you for help, oh Lord. 
We believe, oh Lord, but help our unbelief. Sin has come and wreaked havoc on this world, oh Lord, but we know that you came to defeat sin. To defeat sin's death, ultimately death. Oh Lord, we pray for your help. Believe Jesus. Believe that he is the one that paid our guilt. He is the one that became sin for us. Wow. He is the one who bore our shame. He covered our sin. Oh, Father, help us believe that, to live our lives in light of that. Not to fear, but only to believe. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.